Today is February 28th, 2021. Welcome to Common Ground. Our sermon series for this Lenten season is called Resting from the Grind. This sermon is called Resting from the Exhaustion of Racism, and the speaker is Mira Solani Joyner. Enjoy. After leaving the synagogue, Jesus, James, and John went home with Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed, sick with a fever, and they told Jesus about her at once. He went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she served them. Jesus's ministry spreads. That evening at sunset, people brought to Jesus those who were sick or demon-possessed. The whole town gathered near the door. He healed many who were sick with all kinds of diseases, and he threw out many demons, but he didn't let the demons speak because they recognized him. Early in the morning, well before sunrise, Jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. Simon and those with him tracked him down. When they found him, they told him, everyone's looking for you. He replied, let's head in the other direction to the nearby villages so that I can preach there too. That's why I've come. He traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and throwing out demons. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Uh, well, we, we enter a new series. We actually started it last week. Um, it's, we're calling it Resting from the Grind. Uh, we're trying to be attentive. Oh, thank you, Isabel. Yes, thank you very much for reading that. Uh, we're trying to be attentive to the way that these... Uh, narratives, these powers, these principalities around us are absolutely exhausting. We note them. Um, we, we, we work to dismantle them. We also know that this work is not done alone. It's definitely not done individually. And that in order to be someone who's participating in Shalom throughout the world, um, throughout our lives, we need rest. Um, and so I think often rest and joy is couched, especially to come out of an evangelical setting, as some form of um, like, like just sort of tune out all the new, the noise and just be happy um, or don't even acknowledge this sort of the, the narratives floating around and just be happy or just get rest. And that's not what we're trying out here at Common Ground um, because we want to acknowledge that there are systems that are deeply harmful um, to us um, and to our siblings. Uh, and yet we can't work 24 seven to dismantle these things that are much bigger than us and much more ancient than our lives than when we got here. And so we started a new series and I introduced it last week. Um, and like the Cultivating Joy series that we moved through in January, which was a lot of fun. And, um, and, and, I, and I hope from what we hear brought joy to the community. Um, like that series, we are going to be focused on practices. Uh, so very um, practical practices that we can put into place to, um, uh, to encourage rest. And so today we have a friend, uh, my friend, Mira. Um, Mira is uh, the ex-pastor, associate pastor of Forefront, um, which is a friend, kind of like an older sibling church to us here in New York City. Um, Mira, uh, I'm, 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 I learn from Mira every time we speak, and uh, she has been a great friend to me and a great friend to Common Ground, and I'm just happy to have her voice here. Uh, and Mira... I don't want to intro you more than that. You can tell the world and us about who you are, and I'm going to let you in. And if everybody can give a good common ground wave and a, or a clap or a thumbs up or whatever to Mira, 
Vera, welcome and excited to hear from you. Hey, good morning, everyone. It is still morning, right? Yes, it is. It's so great to be with you all today. Oh my goodness, that worship was incredible. I still have goosebumps. I'm, I'm not used to worshiping live, so I had to turn my camera off and just be in the moment. So thank you, Chantilly and Sarah, for blessing us with your, with your gift. Thank you. I needed that, Phil. Um, so it's so great to be here virtually. I'm coming to you from the occupied territory of Anacostan and Piscataway land, also known as Washington, D.C., let me tell you a little about myself. I've only been here for less than two years. Um, before moving here, I lived in Brooklyn, right in the heart of Bed-Stuy. I lived in a little brownstone there. I lived uh, there with my husband. He is also, well, he is a Brooklyn native, I am not. Um, he grew up in the projects of East New York until he enlisted and joined the Marines later, fighting two wars in Iraq. Thankfully, by the time I met him, he was out of the military because Lord knows I wouldn't have been able to handle it. I met him in Hong Kong, where I was born as a third culture child of immigrants. After a couple of years long distance, um, my husband, Mike, took a huge risk and proposed to me in 2011. And on 2012, we were married. And today we have three beautiful daughters. I tell you all this, um, because I wanted to share with you that moving to the US was quite an adjustment. Initially, I was really looking forward to living here and becoming an American because people don't, or at least it's not polite to, people don't really ask you where you're from. The people here in the US reflect a broad diversity of cultures, ethnicities, languages, and that's generally accepted. Now, this was very different from how I grew up. In Hong Kong, I was accustomed to explaining to everyone that I was part Filipino and part Indian. And I spoke English so well because I went to a private school. I was really proud of my cultural identity. And my parents did what they could to celebrate our mixed heritage. But as I grew up, I started to recognize the ways in which people would treat me differently because I wasn't Indian enough or um, because I wasn't Filipino, full Filipino or a real Filipino in their eyes. I also started noticing that there were times I had to hide one part of my heritage depending on the situation. Have any of you all ever felt that? I, I see some nods. There are times I had to, left out, uh, to leave out my Filipino side because it would harm my job prospects. There were times I didn't disclose that I was Indian so that my family wouldn't be judged since my father married outside his race. And I found myself learning to code switch. Um, people of color on this call will know what it means to code switch between identities in order to feel safe, to fit in and be understood. But constantly living as though I couldn't bring my full self into any space was exhausting. Carrying multiple identities became exhausting. And it wasn't, it wasn't long into being an adult when I started to notice that carrying the identity of being mixed race felt like a burden. Being Indian felt like a burden. 
being Filipino felt like a burden. Even being a woman felt like a burden. So when I moved to the US, I naively thought I could be my full and unapologetic self here. That being a woman here would be liberating. I would be accepted as, a, as an American. No one would question me. I'd be seen as an equal. But very quickly, I noticed that I started carrying extra baggage and that was even more exhausting. Being an immigrant became a burden as I navigated moving from my alien status to my permanent residency status. Yes, that is what this nation used to call a non-resident up until recently, an alien. And then when I became a mother, oh my word, that was also a heavy burden to carry, especially in New York City when you're trying to travel on a subway with an infant on your back and your toddler in a stroller. The year I married my husband, Mike, was the year the hashtag Black Lives Matter was popularized after the murder of Trayvon Martin. And that year, I learned there was another burden I would carry as a wife of a black man and a mother to black and brown girls. And that burden was the constant worry that they would be okay and that, that, that they would be safe, that no one would see or treat them as any less just because of the color of their skin. So why am I talking about burdens? I'm talking about multiple burdens and the burden of carrying multiple identities because I recognize the multiple identities that was being carried by Simon's mother-in-law. So let's name them. First, we know Simon's mother-in-law was sick. Now we don't know what kind of illness she has but it was something that was serious enough to warrant a visit from Jesus and for asking for healing on the Sabbath, which we know as good Christians uh, was that it was against Jewish law. Now, if she'd been sick for some time, it's likely that she was marginalized by others in her community because of her illness. Because you see, back then they didn't have sticks to shove up <laughs> your nose that could tell you in two to five days what kind of virus you had. Um, in fact, illness was understood to be tied to the spirit in some way. So Near Eastern cultures believed that sickness was tied to punishment for sin that they, have, they, they had committed or, or some kind of spiritual testing. So as a result, anyone sick with long or short-term health issues, anyone with dis disabilities, anyone with mental health issues would often face social stigma. People didn't wanna be caught up in whatever God was testing you for and didn't want to be associated with whatever shady thing you were doing for God to punish you. And so they kept their distance. Secondly, this woman is referred to as Simon's mother-in-law, but there's no mention of her husband. So it's possible that she was living with Simon and his family because her husband had died. In which case her identity as a widow and an older woman would have been a double burden for her to carry because she might've had to move in with her daughter and her husband, Simon, because there was no one else to care for her. And we don't know how she would have been treated in that home. We can wonder, was she, was she seen as a burden too because she was ill? Was this why Simon was eager to have her well again so that she could start pulling her weight at home? So when Jesus comes into Simon's home, 
He sees her laid in bed, sick and tired. He reaches for her hand, pulling her up to her feet. To Jesus, the Sabbath wasn't going to stop him from healing Simon's mother-in-law. The fact that she was a woman wasn't going to stop him from reaching out for her hand. He wasn't worried about her being contagious or what she might've done to deserve this sickness. His concern was to simply lift her up. His concern was simply to take the burden of the tiredness that the fever had placed on her body. So part of the healing was that Jesus recognized the fragments that made up her identity and the multiple stigmas that she carried, but he honored her, her full and whole self as nothing less than human and deemed her worthy of healing, worthy of being relieved from her sick and tired state. More than a miracle here is that Jesus took her, more than the miracle that Jesus took her fever from her is a miracle that Jesus chose to have compassion and empathy for someone who had experienced marginalization as an elderly widow who was sick. That was a miracle because it was unheard of. When Jesus reached out and took her hand, he broke cultural codes and lifted her up. The word that is used here to describe her being lifted up is the same word used to describe Jesus's resurrection from the dead. The word is igero. Now I haven't finished seminary, but uh, Reverend Chris will tell you if I've pronounced that wrong. So you can hit him up later about that. Jesus defied death when his life was taken by Roman soldiers who, who crucified him, who saw him as a threat to the Roman empire, acting on demands by the religious leaders of his time, who saw him too as a threat to the religious establishment. They all participated in his death in this way, but Jesus defies death. Jesus being the son of God overcomes death and is resurrected. So what Jesus does next for Simon's mother-in-law is that he sets up the purpose of his ministry. You see these burdens that this woman carried because of the layers of her identity were not burdens she chose to just pick up, no. These were burdens that society had placed on her. Society had placed multiple burdens on her, saying that she's unworthy as a woman, possibly even more so as a widow, and that she needed to be cast aside because she was sick. In doing so, they made her sick and tired where she was laid up in bed. Jesus comes and he doesn't add to her feeling sick and tired, pushing her to the brink of death. Instead, he brings this woman back to life. Jesus lifts her up, invite, invites her back into participating in the life of the household. Jesus brought her back into participating in life with her community, and she began to serve them. Now, admittedly, when I read that part that the woman got up, Lord have mercy, I don't know why this woman doesn't have a name. That the woman got up and her fever left her. She began serving Jesus. And admittedly, the feminist inside me cringed because I thought, why on earth 
Didn't Jesus just let this woman rest? Was that the only reason she needed to get better so that she could be a servant? But I found something interesting in the translation of the word serve. And the word that, the word that Mark uses here comes from the word diakoneo. It's this Greek word that we get the word deacon from. And this is the same word that appears when Jesus is being tested by Satan in the wilderness earlier in the chapter. Mark 1.13 says that while the evil spirits were taunting him, the angels were ministering to him. So the same way the angels were ministering to Jesus in the wilderness is the same way Simon's mother-in-law begins ministering to Jesus and the disciples. She likely continued ministering to many others later who weren't given the time of day because they were sick or because people suspected they were demon-possessed. So what we see in this story is that because Jesus sees her and all of who she is, not just in fragments, not viewing her through the stigma society had placed on her, he acknowledges her humanity, acknowledges her, her worth, and as a result, she's able to participate in ministry with Jesus and goes on to be part of restoring life for many others who have been cast aside by their community. The mysterious power of healing allowed Simon's mother-in-law to see the sign, to see the sin that had sucked the life out of her and made her sick and tired. It had allowed her to see that these burdens had been placed on her, being seen by Jesus, gave her the healing power to see her wholeness in the multiplicity of her identities. And that power made her aware of what she needed to do to be free from this virus. And it gave her the tools for how she could minister to others in her community and be part of their liberation too. All of that is initiated by Jesus's recognition that she is more than a virus that has overcome her. All of that happens in the seconds in which he reaches out to hold her hand and lift her up. In his actions, we hear him say, I see that you are sick and tired of being treated as less than. I don't want you to live this partial life excluded from your community. I am restoring your humanity to you. I'm restoring your dignity. I'm restoring your worth. Society might have decided that they didn't want to deal with you or have seen you as a burden, but I don't. Every day, I find myself having to remind myself that it's not my fault that I feel sick and tired. These burdens that I carry because of my identity have been placed on me by society because I don't fit what is perceived as normal. Some days, these burdens have me keeled over so badly, I'm convinced I've been overcome by a virus. I feel sick and tired 
overcome by the viruses of racism, sexism, classism, ableism, patriarchy, white supremacy. I'm sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of fighting for my right to be treated as human in this country and not as an alien. I'm sick and tired of being taken advantage of because people think I won't do or say anything about it because they are relying on me being a quiet Asian. I'm sick and tired of having people think that I'm a mail order bride who only came here for citizenship. I'm sick and tired of working twice as hard just to be taken seriously as a woman of color. I'm sick and tired of being afraid to make mistakes because it will be used against me because I am a woman of color. I'm sick and tired of being afraid of walking home at night or going for a run or constantly looking over my shoulder as a woman. I'm even sick and tired of watching my husband reckon with working in an environment seeped in white male patriarchy in his workplace as a black law enforcement officer. I'm sick and tired of worrying every day if he goes out, if he will come home alive. And I am sick and tired of worrying if my children will face the same. And I know I'm not the only one who is sick and tired of being treated by these viruses, being threatened by these viruses. We, as a society, have allowed these viruses to cloud our perception of one another. We have allowed these viruses to place individuals on a hierarchy based on these isms. People at the bottom of this hierarchy, black, brown, indigenous, women, queer, disabled, migrant, and many others who hold multiple identities. We are all sick and tired of trying so hard just to be able to live. We are sick and tired of having to work harder, of having to hide parts of ourselves, of having to conform to societal norms. It's not how we were made to work as human beings. We weren't meant to work this hard and deny parts of ourselves just to live and be in community with one another. Each part of us isn't meant to be a burden. Each part of us is meant to beautify this earth. Each part of us is meant to be recognized in harmony with all of us. I'm not meant to go through life carrying each part of my identity as a woman, a mother, a Filipino, Indian, as a burden because each part of, each part makes me me. And it makes me all of who I am. And each part of me defines the other. My Indianness defines my parenting. My Filipino identity defines my womanhood. When I can be all of myself without working so hard, I become part of a bigger picture of God's creation that beautifies this earth. Jesus embraces every quality of our identity that makes up the mosaic of who we are and embraces all of us. When Jesus sees us sick and tired of living fragmented, Jesus lifts us to life so we can remember our wholeness, 
so we can remember that God created every bit of our identity. So we can remember that, that not any part of us has to change. We don't have to work ourselves to death for that promotion. We don't have to deny parts of ourselves to find a partner. We don't have to deny parts of ourselves to be accepted. As you reflect on this story in this season of Lent, I challenge you to think about the burdens that you're carrying and why. Think about who it is that you're trying to please when, you, when you're burdened with, a hi, with hiding part of you. Think about what it is you are trying to achieve when you are burdened with extra work. Think about what it would take for you to just be. What would you gain if you were allowed to just be who you were created to be? What can you do to linger in that moment, those few seconds when Jesus takes the hand of Simon's mother-in-law? What can you do to rest in that moment, in that knowledge that you have been created whole and all of you matters? In what ways can you rest in just being? We are called to see the fullness of our own humanity and to be free from the lies of the various isms placed on us. We are called to believe that God sees all of us and desires for us to just be. Because in resting, that is what fuels us to embrace all of one another and not just parts of people. It fuels us for the ministry work ahead of us, partnering with God for the healing and restoration of humanity. The work of embracing one another in our wholeness is a big part of the healing ministry that God has set us out to do in our community. When we can embrace ourselves and one another as human, it will become clear what our work is supposed to look like as we work towards justice for all. And you can see from the passage, even Jesus had to go out into the wilderness and rest. So take this season to rest. Rest in the knowledge that all of you is loved wholly and accepted by God. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mira. As a way of honoring the words and allowing them to just sit with us for a minute, I want to just offer a bell. And it's just a way for us to connect to our breath and connect to one another. You'll hear it being rung twice. And the first one is just to settle and the next one is for transition.
Mira, that was such a gift to us. Thank you so much for that. There's so many noticings that I have and I wanted just to offer our community here. Um, something as you were preaching, Mira, that started sort of in my spirit about rest and the connection to this um, phrase that you said, you know, it is not my fault that I'm sick and tired. Um, and it wasn't Simon's mother-in-law's fault either, which is what I also heard, you know. Um, and then something else came to my mind about how oppression in the Bible is often, um, the image of oppression is often used as yoke in our texts. And that that image came to me. I, I've led a, a Bible study once where I sort of imitated what a yoke would be like if you put it on ox and how it shows up in Isaiah, you know, when Isaiah 58 says, you know, this is the fast that I've chosen for you, right? Um, is it 56 or 58 where he says, you know, to loose the bonds of injustice, right? And to release us from this yoke, this, 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 and, and you said it in your sermon, Mira, burdens, right? It's like, it's heavy and we're carrying it. And in the Bible, biblical text, it's always like a yoke. And then you fast forward to the gospel of Matthew, right? Where Jesus says, you know, take my yoke upon you because, right? It's light, it's easy, you know? Um, and so I just started like, as you were, you know, and, but the work of saying, Hey, I don't need to carry this yoke. Cause it has been placed upon me. Right. The burdens, like you said, that actually, that's not mine to carry. That's been placed on me. Right. But the act of sort of releasing ourselves from this yoke, right. Is like this, what you said, Hey, it's not my fault that this yoke is on me. Right. Like like for the for those of us right, who are, have been raised with with oppressed identities. Right. It takes that sort of inner work of of coming to that realization that, in fact, it is not my fault. Right. Right. Um, and then the move from which was what I heard you say, um, and I literally wrote this down. Right. Like if Jesus is healing, removes the yoke of oppression. You said that a liberated person then goes out and removes yokes from others. Mira, come speak into it. Speak into it, sister. Because, because you have reached down to the depth of your pain from yeah. that oppression. Then yeah. you know the tools to go out and help someone else. Yes. And, and, and then even just you challenging the text of saying, you know, actually, though, she wasn't a servant, right? Like even like the like, let's just let's just re, re like, let's reframe what that word can actually mean. And I was like, yes, and we need to do that. We need to challenge the text and we need to open it up and say, well, our sort of hearing may see that as wow, She was only healed to serve and almost be placed again, like like been, like lowering herself like in my culture. OK, in my culture. When we walk past men, like we're supposed to actually go lower than them in my culture, right? Like we have to like walk and then like go like this so that like if Chris is like standing here, I have to make sure that my head is like just slightly lower than Chris's, right? We'll, we'll go. Yeah, we'll go there. Right. But like it's interesting that in like she Jesus removes the yoke and then and then it's almost empower, it's empowering. Not that she would, she would go beneath herself. In fact, 
She's empowered to release yokes. Woo! That was a word. That was a word. Y'all, y'all, the spirit. <laughs> the spirit, the spirit. Thank you, Mira. Thank you for that. Um, yes, she's elevated to Jesus's status of healing ministry. She is elevated. Um, and, 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 and perhaps, like, she had that power all along, right? <laughs> right? Perhaps, Mira, we have that power all along, you know? And it's something about removing the yokes of oppression. So, woo, woo, woo. Thank you. What a gift. Like, I, I feel so much energy in my, in my chest right now. This is usually where I carry... <laughs> It, like there's just like so much like vibrations right now um thank you so much um but this sense of rest how does one see the burdens the yoke of oppression name it right and and like what mira modeled like it is not my fault that i'm walking around in the world carrying this stuff like how do we sort of name it and how do we develop practices where we in our spirit can rest from that? We can't erase it, right? I, like we can't just all of a sudden walk out into the world and this is all gone, right? But how do we in our spiritual practices rest and allow Jesus to just release the yoke a little bit from us and we practice that together?